0: to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women in sex addiction. My name is Amy. Um, I'm a recovering sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm so glad that you're on with us today. I'm really excited about our topic today, which is uh, the continuation of our steps. But before we get into that, I want to remind you about our upcoming challenge group. This is called 30 Days of Talking Back. So you've heard me talk a lot about the shaming voices in my head, the shoulds, the not good enoughs, the stupids, the crazies, the things I say to myself that cause a lot of problems in my life, serious problems in my life, very serious problems. One of the best and most life-changing things that I've learned in the five years I've been living in recovery is about how to talk back. In episodes, in the upcoming episodes, 12, 14, and 16, the even ones, I'm going to be sharing the secrets I've discovered, the ways I talk back and how to design your talking back methods and messages. Then in April, we're going to have a challenge. I'm going to challenge all of you to talk back for 30 days, the full 30 days of April. I'm super excited about this, really excited. So if you want to join us, and I know that you do, right? Get on the website, worthrecovery.com, and click on the Talking Back Challenge picture. There you can find some more information and join the Talking Back mailing list. This will keep you in touch with all the happenings that are going on for the challenge. You'll get additional worksheets, daily reminders, different motivation to start and finish the challenge. Do it. Do it right now. It's going to be totally awesome. So I'm really excited about that. I, hope, I really hope that you'll join us. Also, I'm excited to announce that we have some women who have volunteered to share their stories with us. I'm so, so excited to be doing this. My goal with this podcast is not just to tell you about my own experiences and stories, but really to create a huge repository of the stories of women living in recovery. And I'm getting those lined up and prepared to bring those to you to inspire you to keep up the battle and to stay on course. If you want to share your story with me, I would love to hear it and share it. Again, on the website under the women's stories area, there's a place for you to contact me. Or you can just email me directly at Amy, it's spelled A-M-Y, Amy at WorthRecovery.com. I'm super excited about that. Those will be coming up in April. So if you want to share, get on, let me know. I would love to have you. Okay, so today is episode 11, and it's the continuation of the Deep Dive series about the 12 steps of recovery. In episode 9, we started with step 1. Remember, it states, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions, that our lives had become unmanageable. In episode 9, we discussed the first half of that statement, what it really means to be powerless, and the gifts that powerlessness brings into our lives. Today, I want to focus on the second half of that statement. Our lives had become unmanageable. Wow. Okay, so what exactly does it mean to have an unmanageable life? Let's look at the core of the word. I love words. So let's look at the core of the word, manage. Dictionary.com says manage is to take care or charge of, to bring about or succeed in accomplishing, sometimes despite difficulty or hardship. So manage means to take charge or care of. I like the idea of taking care of our life. And also it adds the goal that we bring about or succeed in accomplishing. So not only is managing about taking care of our lives, it's about accomplishing something with our life, succeeding in our lives, succeeding at life, right? That's the core of the word. Okay, so let's add the ending, the suffix of the word. Manageable, right? Manageable. It says that the thing or person is able to be managed, governed or tractable, meaning our life is designed and unfolding in such a way that we can take care of it, that we can succeed at life and accomplish something. That to me speaks to the skills that we have, that we have the skills, the tools, the knowledge about how to take care of our lives and how to succeed and accomplish the things we want to do. Okay, so now we know what manageable means, right? So let's add the prefix, right? The un-. Unmeaning, not. In essence, when we say our lives had become unmanageable, what we are saying is that we had created a life that was incapable of being taken care of, that we were not succeeding in accomplishing our lives, and that the situation that had been created was not manageable. So that's a really big pill to swallow. My life is unmanageable. I don't have the knowledge or skills to take care of my own life, to succeed at my own life. Wow. Sure, I, I knew I was powerless to stop my behavior, but it really took me some time to wake up to the unmanageability of my life. I guess for me, it just felt normal. It was what had been created for me and what I continued to work at. But I, I love this paragraph from the Sex Addicts Anonymous First Step Guide. It says, quote, powerlessness and unmanageability are really not two things, but different expressions of the tangled mess our lives were in. When we finally admitted our state, we were quite unaware of the exact and pervasiveness of our unmanageability. Our denial had blinded us to the mess that we had made. That was me, for sure. I was totally blind to the mess that I had created in my own life. If you would have asked me about my life then, I would have said it was totally successful. I considered myself intelligent, successful. I was making money. I was doing good work at the school I was teaching at, as well as making a contribution to the church that I belonged to. I was moving ahead. Sure, everything wasn't perfect. I didn't have all the things I wanted, but my life was far from unmanageable, right? I mean, far from unmanageable from what I could see. When I first entered the program, I was adamant that my life was great and that things would be better once I could just stop acting out. There wasn't anything wrong with my life except this acting out that was happening. These bad habits that I had, and I was quite sure that just stopping them would bring about the success I had always wanted. No, I wasn't getting everything that I wanted, but I I did know that these bad habits were somewhat limiting to me. But I figured that once I gave them up, once I stopped acting out, I would all of a sudden be able to find the success that I wanted. My life wasn't unmanageable. It was just these habits I had. These lines from Sexaholics Anonymous White Book, page 84, totally describe me. Totally. Okay, quote. Awareness of the unmanageability of our lives was not apparent to us at first. But as we recovered from shock and spiritual blindness, we began to see how we were unable to function without lust, negative attitudes, and dependencies holding our lives together. Close quote. Wow, that was me. Negative attitudes, lust, dependencies... And then this on page 87 from the same book, quote, For those who enter recovery through this program, the realization of powerlessness comes coupled with growing awareness of personal unmanageability. The fact that something is out of kilter at the core itself. If we are content with ourselves, simply minus the compulsion, there can be no recovery. Close quote. Wow. Again, another tough pill to swallow, especially that last line. If we are content with ourselves, simply minus the compulsion, there can be no recovery. (sighs) As I pulled away my addictive behavior, as I admitted my powerlessness over them and stopped acting out, I came to see just how much unmanageability there was in my life and became aware of how much my acting out was masking. Unmanageability shows up in various forms and really it can be all over the map. We typically look to the things that we can see, the apparent unmanageability, but it's so much more than that. At its core, unmanageability is about congruity, the mathematical principle of congruence. You probably remember it from high school geometry, right? Right? Maybe? No? Oh, okay, no. Let me remind you. So two objects, usually we discuss two triangles, are considered congruent, When you lay one on top of the other, and all corners, sides, and angles line up perfectly. That is when we say two triangles are congruent. All of the sides have to measure the same length. All of the angles have to have the same degree. And there is an alignment of all the corners and the sides and the angles. That is when two triangles are congruent. So that principle can be extended to people as well. People are said to be congruent when you take their actions... Lay them on top of their values, their dreams, their desires, and they all line up perfectly. Unmanageability happens when these things don't line up. When our actions speak differently than our values or our desires. We get frustrated and we feel unable to achieve, yet many times we are unaware of the incongruity or the unmanageability until it's pointed out to us. That was me. I wasn't aware of any of the incongruity or the unmanageability going on in my life. My addiction was masking it. Once I started to pull that away, things became really, really apparent to me. So, I don't want to talk today about the apparent unmanageability in your lives. I'm sure you're very, very aware of that. But what I would like to talk about is two of the ways that unmanageability and incongruity show up in our lives that might not be so apparent. So first, I want to talk about lying. Now, what lies have you told to conceal your behavior? I'm sure you can name specific lies that you have told to people in your life to cover up lost time you spent acting out. Usually partners or family members that you have lied to about where you were, who you were with, or what you were doing. That counts as unmanageability for sure. But let's dig a little deeper into lying. What lies have you told the people you acted out with? This was really common for me. I would lie to the people I acted out with about like, really stupid things. About what I was eating. About the music I liked to listen to. About things in my life. About the number of other people I had acted out with. I would lie about things that were important to me. My behavior with them would lie about what I really wanted for my life. I lied by expressing interest in men I wasn't really attracted to. I used men to get attention I was seeking and was lying to them about what I really wanted from them. There was a lot of lying to the people that I acted out with, a lot. I'd also ask, what lies have you told to yourself? I lied to myself about lying to the people I was acting out with because I just kept telling myself they weren't real, right? It was just all acting out. It was just all other addicts. That was a big lie I told myself. They were other addicts, so it didn't matter what I said. We sometimes call this rationalization or justification, but really, it is the lies we tell ourselves. Some of the biggest ones for me have always centered around personal value, what I am or am not worthy of. Just those lies alone deserve their own podcast, and we'll get there eventually. But the point here is that we lie to ourselves. We lie in word and in action to ourselves all the time and while we are acting out. We lie by tolerating the intolerable. We lie by letting people take advantage of us. We lie about the real power we have and the decisions that we are capable of making. We tell ourselves stories about what is happening, about why we need to act out, and therefore deceive ourselves into going further than we ever imagined. This is self-betrayal. We lie to ourselves, and that creates massive incongruity inside of us, which creates massive unmanageability. There are several other ways that we lie. What lies have you told employers? What lies have you told friends? What lies have you told your children? What lies have you told your therapist, your sponsor, your 12-step group members? The thing about lying is that it is exhausting to manage. That's why it creates such unmanageability. It's exhausting. Who did I lie to? What excuse did I give? Was it the same across the board? What if they find out I lied? Did I tell my husband and my employer the same thing about missing that work day? The stress that it takes on us during our acting out is unmanageable. It's unmanageability in its purest form. It's incongruity. And it it creates a lot of chaos. A lot of chaos in our lives. Okay, next. next I want to look at neglect. Wow, neglect is a powerful form of unmanageability because it is so subtle. When we typically think of neglect, we think of overt neglect, meaning things or people we visibly and openly neglect. We think of mothers who don't feed their children or alcoholics who drive drunk. We think of the show Hoarders, right? Where people openly neglect their lives and the conditions of their home. But neglect is much, much, much more personal than that. And it is much more subtle and crafty. So some questions here, right? What things have you overtly neglected to spend time acting out? We're talking things here. So for me, it was cleanliness. My house was always cluttered. I could never find anything while I was acting out. Also, like mail. So stupid, but mail would come into my house and pile up. I didn't want to read it, so I didn't, which meant I missed bills, I missed deadlines, I missed jury duty. Yeah, all sorts of things because it would just stack up. Another way was laundry. I always had laundry on my bed. I would sleep on piles of clean clothes and then have to rewash them again. It was my car. I wouldn't necessarily get all the service done on time or take care of everything that needed to happen. These were things that were suffering my life, not because I didn't have the money or the time to take care of them, though that is what I would tell myself, that is the lie I told myself, but because I spent all of my time acting out and not managing or taking care of my life. So what does that look like for you? What things are you overtly neglecting because of your addiction? Okay, now I want to talk about people. What people have you overtly neglected to spend time acting out? (laughs) I remember sitting with a few friends at dinner, and just before the food came, excusing myself with the excuse that I felt really sick and I needed to get home, only to go to a nearby restaurant and meet a potential acting out partner for dinner, who went home with me that night. Seriously, my friendships all took a hit during this height of my acting out, That is just one example of how I was overtly neglecting people in my life. This also shows up as not being present. In some cases, I was overtly not present. I think about the afternoon I spent at my grandma's house sexting the entire time while she tried to engage me in conversation. Not proud of that moment. Not proud of that moment at all. Sorry, grandma. These are overt examples where I was out in the open and aware of what I was doing. But more powerful than overt neglect can be covert neglect. This is neglect that happens in secret, and disguise, and I would add, sometimes it's even in disguise from ourselves. Sometimes we don't even recognize that covert neglect is happening, typically because that is either what was modeled for us and we just don't know differently. This creates unmanageability that sometimes we aren't even aware of until we start recovery. Also, this is where that lack of skills and knowledge comes in as well. Our lives are unmanageable and we don't really quite understand why. So the same questions here. What things have you covertly neglected so that you could spend time acting out? For me, this showed up in things I wanted to be doing, but just wasn't. It showed up in things I said I loved, but wasn't doing like hiking, swimming, creating This may sound weird, but it also showed up in the way that I drove. With how many deaths we hear about with texting and checking email on the road, I continued to do both without consideration for the things around me. Now, I got into multiple car accidents all the time. With things. Not necessarily other cars. I would just hit things. Poles. Buildings. Trees. Damaging my own car. It was totally crazy. I never saw that as neglect or unmanageability before but it is. It totally is. It is selfish to not pay attention while we drive and to damage other things. My family still harasses me about this time of my life until today. There's still a running joke about how many things Amy hit while driving. The thing is, I'm a good driver. Really, I really am. And since being in recovery, I've not had an accident or a ticket. Crazy, huh? But it's true. It's totally true. Okay, let's look at people now. What people have you covertly neglected to spend time acting out? This is one that hurts the most for me. As I reflect back on my life during the time I spent acting out, I see a pattern of people reaching out to me for friendship, and I totally unaware of what was going on, I didn't have space for them in my life. I think of one particular coworker who day after day and week after week tried to befriend me. She would bring me things, she would ask about my students and my work, and was just really generally friendly. It wasn't that I was mean back to her, but I just didn't reciprocate any interest. Years later, she looked me up on Facebook and sent me a nice note about how impressed she was with my teaching and my students, and I barely remembered who she was. I have many experiences like that with coworkers, some who have searched me out who I have no memory of at all, at all. I was neglecting the people in my life, the real people in my life for acting out partners in fantasy, though at the time I wasn't aware of it. This also shows up as making commitments and not following through. I do this. I would say to people, I'll email you or I'll call you tomorrow or I'll do this and then I wouldn't. I didn't really see that as neglect. Most of the time, I wasn't even aware of how many commitments I was making. And I definitely wasn't aware of how upset people were about the broken promises. But it adds up for people. It adds up in their lives when you make commitments and you don't keep them. This also shows up, this covert neglect also shows up as not being present, but not being aware that we aren't present. So many times we aren't present and we aren't even aware of what's going on. Sitting in the same room as someone is not necessarily being present. I'm guilty of this all the time. I'm guilty of this. Letting someone talk to me while I work or type or do other things is also not being present. As a former high school teacher, I would say that if you have children and you don't know the names of their teachers or at least what classes they're enrolled in, you're neglecting your child. I've seen this. And it is really painful. It is really painful for students when you start to talk to them about their parents and they know that their parents don't even know what's going on in their lives or in school. Chronic lateness or tardiness is neglect. You're being neglectful of other people's times and life. So where, where in your life are you not being present and you're not necessarily even aware of it? All of this neglect... Overt and covert creates a lot of unmanageability in our lives. It's subtle and it's tricky and it's powerful. It gives us a feeling that something is off at the very core. It gives us a feeling that we are failing and not succeeding at life. That is what unmanageability is, right? That's the definition. One of the things to think about when we discuss neglect is the neglect you've shown yourself through acting out. Are you living the life you want to be living? Are you living a life of integrity? Are you living a life you're proud of? Are you practicing self-care and self-love? Are you living the story you want to be living? No, neither was I. I was neglecting my own passions and my own desires. I was neglecting my body, my spirit, my health. I was neglecting my creativity, my desires, my talents. All of this results in incongruity. And all of this incongruity results in unmanageability. These are just two of the more subtle ways unmanageability shows up in your life. There are several, several more. Damage done, broken trust, damaged relationships, lost jobs, lost opportunities, so many, many ways. From the essay, Sexaholics Anonymous, Step Into Action book, page 41, quote, Some of us have lost friends and have been unable to make friends. We have avoided relationships and jobs because we were afraid. Many of us were unable to enter and sustain any kind of intimate relationship because we had to protect our secrets. We have lost jobs or we have struggled along in unfulfilling, often underpaid careers because we were too distracted to put our energy into our work. We have spent large portions of our lives teetering on the edge of chaos. We have wrecked careers, homes, and lives. Some of us have been hospitalized for depression, have attempted suicide, or even killed ourselves because sexaholism destroyed our physical, emotional, and spiritual being, Close quote. Understanding the truth about our lives, understanding the true incongruity and unmanageability helps us. It helps us see the path ahead. It helps us see the direction of our lives. If we continue on the path of addiction, it's hard. It's so hard. It's raw. It's painful. I love these lines from the SAA first step guide, quote, For most of us, it was through painstakingly working the first step guides and sharing our story with others in the program that the denial broke down and we came to greater understanding of how powerless and unmanageable our lives really were. Some of us asked, why didn't someone tell us? Someone probably had told us, but we were not ready to face the truth and we had no support to deal with the raw pain. So to protect ourselves, we went into denial in the program, we find the support and acceptance to acknowledge our behaviors, Close quote. Seeing and acknowledging the unmanageability in our lives is painful, like it says. It's raw. It is some of the hardest work we do in recovery. But it is reality. It is confronting the brutal truth and the facts of our reality, like we discussed in episode 10 about building hope. Hope cannot exist if it is not built on reality. But we had been in denial too long, and had used our addiction to mask that reality to keep us from looking at it. Seeing our unmanageability is painful, but is the first step to building the hope we need to continue the hard work of recovery. I challenge you to take a really hard look at the unmanageability in your own life. Is it over? Is it covert? Is it lying? Is it neglect? Is it deeper than that? Is it more apparent? You'll never, I don't know that we'll ever get to all of the unmanageability in our lives. Even now, as I'm recording this, I'm looking at the stack of probably 15 envelopes sitting here of mail that I need to open and read. Now, it's not nearly what it was. It's not months of mail as it was before when I was acting out. But there's still some unmanageability I need to take care of in my own life and challenge in my own life. Next week in episode 13, we're going to continue this discussion on step one. Our focus will be on how we can work step one in our lives. How do we narrate this powerlessness and this unmanageability into something that we can work through? I'm really excited about it. It's going to be great. I'm really excited that you joined us today. I hope that you'll continue to keep listening as we talk about not only just step work, but of all of the challenges about living in recovery. You can find us on iTunes by searching Worth Recovery. If you're an iTunes fan, go on and subscribe today. You can also subscribe on iTunes directly from the website, worthrecovery.com. I would love if you would give us a rating and let us know how this podcast has helped you. As always, I want you to know that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel right now in this moment, no matter the amount of unmanageability you have, you are worth recovery. Stay the course and keep up the fight, even just one day at a time. Even if it's one hour at a time. I want you to know that I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time, Amy.